Thank you for listening to the Paradigm Podcast. Paradigm is a young adult ministry that exists to see lives changed by Jesus. For more information about Paradigm, go to ParadigmKC.com. We hope this message is inspiring and life-changing. Thanks for listening. copy of God's Word. Once you find the book of Genesis, if you're new to the Bible, Genesis is really simple to find. It's the first book in the Bible. And so you can find Genesis chapter 2. That's where we're going to settle down in here in a second. And I don't know um, if you've come in here tonight and, and, and if you have like one of these random hobbies or random things that you know how to do that, that most people don't know that you know how to do this thing. Like if you're playing that old game, Two Truths and a Lie, you would slide this one in there and they'd be like, that's the lie. And then you'd be like, no, I actually know how to do this thing. Anybody have something like that, like a weird hobby, like you play like the, the didgeridoo or something like that, you know, something real random or, well, for me, it's, um, I, I know how to sew and I actually, I actually enjoy sewing. Now, before you start knocking, you know, my manhood and questioning whether or not I'm a man, let me introduce to you my sewing machine right here. This is an artist in 3000, y'all. This thing weighs more than your deadlift, fellas. The needle's like the tip of a baby spear. You can sell rhinos to elephants with this thing. It's amazing, right? I'm just kidding. But anyway, um, this is me down in my basement. I've got a little leather shop set up down there. And a few years ago, I worked for a saddle maker when I was in college. And we broke horses and we made saddles and, and they, they taught me some of the basics of leather work and I've just kind of stuck with it. And so um, for my young adult years and now even as I am an adult, Today, I, I still like to sew, and so I'll sneak down to the basement, and, and I'll sew. Now, interesting about a sewing machine, you need to know this if you're into sewing, um, you have to manage the tension right. There's two pieces of thread that are working together to try to stitch this thing together, and, and, if, and if the tension isn't right on the machine, it's not going to work right. You know what I'm saying? Like, like if the tension's off, then one loop is going to be too loose, or it's going to be too tight. It's not going to look right, and, and the machine won't work right if the tension ain't right. And the reason why I shared that with you tonight is because if you don't manage the tension right in your life, you won't work right. The tension is something that we all know about in life. Like, y'all have experienced the tension between trying to eat healthy and trying to eat good. You know what I'm saying? It's the 25th of the, of the year and you've already pitched your diet out the window, right? Uh, y'all have managed the tension between how much time do you spend with your boys, boys, with your girls, girls, and with that little flame that you have going on as well, Right? And how much time do we give to that? Y'all all manage the tension of, of being down by a few points, having 13 seconds left on the clock, and still hanging on like we still, are we going to win, you know? Yeah, y'all manage that tension. <laughs> but there's a tension that exists in our life, and it exists between two really, really important things. In fact, these two things are the two things that you will spend the majority of your life doing. And there's this relationship with these two things that if, if you don't manage the tension right between these two things, I would argue that you may waste a big portion of your life. That things in your life, they may not work right. And you may even miss your purpose if you don't manage the tension between these two things in your life. And the two things that I'm talking about are work and rest. That you and I, we will spend the majority of our life resting in some form or fashion. And then the second most amount of time that we'll spend in our life is working. And if you don't learn how to manage the tension between work and rest, then you will not work right in your life and you may even miss your purpose. And we feel this, right? Like, like I don't know if you, have you been somewhere and you're like, where are all the workers at? You know, like, 
There's four people in this thing trying to run the whole Home Depot, you know? Like, I need some assistance. And we feel this because something's not right in our work life, which has led our generation to lead the movement of what sociologists are calling the great resignation or the big quit, that millions of people quit their jobs last year. And there's, there's probably many reasons why they quit their jobs, but deep down inside, there's something off with our perspective on work. And, and here's what happens is that people will, they'll leave a job because they, they don't find significance in that job, or they'll pursue another job thinking that in that job they're going to find significance. And deep down inside, we all want significance in our work. And so some people, they quit because it's not bringing significance to them. Other people, they're grinding it out because they think that if they get to this certain pay grade or promotion or place, then they're going to be significant. And many of us, we are on the fast track to unemployment permanently or on the fast track to workaholic permanently because deep down inside, we all want to do something significant. Or what about rest on the other side of the coin? That rest is this thing that, 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 that is like, it seems like it, it's a great idea, but are we really resting well? Like we were the most restless generation, so over-medicated, trying to find peace from our anxiety in so many different ways. Like have you ever been on vacation and, and then when you get home, you need a vacation from your vacation? You know, like you unplugged, you went to Turks and Caicos, you went to the beach, you thought it was gonna be awesome and then you just came back exhausted. And I think it's because we don't know how to rest properly. Like we have come in here and we are so overstimulated. Like when was the last time you remember being bored? That there's this tendency when we have just about 30 seconds of lull time, we're, we're looking at reels trying to learn something or trying to be entertained by something. Like when was the last time that you unplugged from your social media outlets and you just kind of took a day to unplug and disconnect? Like deep down inside, I think that we're looking to all of these things, PTO, or we're looking to some sort of vacation, or we're looking to, to sleep in or binge watch something because we're chasing satisfaction and rest in our soul. And so what we'll do is we'll take our free time and we'll pursue people, we'll pursue pleasures, we'll pursue places. And listen, all of those things are good things. And those are fun things, and they're going to bring you some sort of satisfaction, but deep down inside, you know that they will not satisfy the deepest parts of your soul. And so we have this relationship between work and rest, and we all want significance in our work, and we all want satisfaction in our rest, but those things will never bring us ultimate significance or ultimate satisfaction in the soul level. And we've got to manage the tension. So we're kicking off this series called Work and rest. And what we're hoping to do over the next couple of weeks is we want to look at what God's word has to say about these things and how we can manage the tension between these, these two things and how we can live these things out the way that we were designed to do. If you're taking notes tonight, I've titled tonight's message, Managing the Tension. Managing the Tension. I want to call you to do two primary things. One is to go to work. One is to take a break. And before we leave tonight, I want to talk to you about how you can find ultimate significance in your life and you can find ultimate satisfaction in your life. The Bible is this amazing collection of, of books that were put together by several different authors over the span of hundreds of years. And we believe that this is God's story that is unfolded to help us know his character, the way things are designed, and so that we can follow his ways and we can know him personally. And so God, in the book of Genesis, which is also called the book of beginnings, 
He helps us understand what type of God he is and the way that he created things. And he tells us something really, really important. He says that you and I, we were made in the image of God. That I think we've all come in here tonight and we know that there's something distinct about humans in regard to other created things, right? Like some of you, maybe you sat next to a guy, you're like, I don't know about that guy though, right? You know, like he may be a little bit, anyway, the missing link's here. And so you, but we would say that there's something distinct that, that what the scripture says is that you and I, what creates us as distinct creatures in the creation is that God made us in his own image. And so the way this plays out in the book of Genesis is we see that God, he goes to work six days. And I don't know if you've read the book of Genesis often or not. I'm not real sure what what you've brought in here with your Bible knowledge, but, but it's fascinating because we see that God speaks the world into existence. I mean, think about that. In the book of Jeremiah, which is another Old Testament book, it says that God understood the universe and so like God, he's so powerful that, that he, he was like, you know, um, Holy Spirit, Jesus, I was thinking the other day, universe, and then he begins to speak and create in this universe all that we know as the galaxies, all that we know as the stars and the solar systems, and then we get this picture of how he begins to create earth, and he speaks things into existence, and, and there's this rhythm that goes on in the book of Genesis where it, it goes like this, God said it, it was, and it was good that he's creating things that are harmonious, things that are beautiful in this rhythmic fashion. And it tells us that God, he worked six days, but then he did something very, very unique and he rested on the seventh day. And I just wanna pick up in Genesis two, in verse two, and we're gonna look at this and talk about it for a minute. Here's what it says. On the seventh day, God had finished his work of creation, and so he rested from all his work. Again, the Bible's telling us that God created everything, or simply put, he, he went to work. Point number one, if you're taking notes tonight, you could write this down, go to work. Go to work. I think sometimes we'll read just things like this, and we'll just skip through them, and we'll, we'll miss the profoundness of this. Listen, God, God of very God, the supreme being of all, he had a job. He went to work. God, he's perfect. He's infinite. He's divine. He doesn't need to do anything. He went to work. And then we see Jesus, who is the image of the invisible God. When Jesus steps onto the scenes of history, he had a job. He was a carpenter. He swung a hammer for a living. And Jesus, he he continued this model of men and women who are capable should have a job. We should work. It's something that is divine. Now, why is this important? Why is it important that we have a, a, a creation account of a God that went to work? It's important because you and I, were made in the image of that God. And I think that we have all sorts of weird thoughts and ideas of, of what work is and what it should be and what it shouldn't be. And, and, and many of you, like you're, you're thinking right now, is this just kind of like a, a spiritual work-life balance talk? And it's so much more than that. And I don't want you to miss the profoundness because of the simplicity of the truth that we're talking about. That I'm trying to change your paradigm, if you will, about something that you're gonna spend the majority of your waking hours doing. And we're talking about work that you and I, we were made in the image of God. And God, he went to work. That means that one of the greatest ways that we reflect God's image to the world is to go to work. God thought so highly of work that he created human beings, the crescendo of his creation, and he mandates to them in Genesis 1:28, he says, be fruitful and multiply, hallelujah, and then he says, you fill the earth and then you subdue it. 
that God created the world undeveloped. He didn't have to do that. He created it undeveloped so that you and I could experience the joy of cultivating the creation. So I told you I do leather work. Well, um, a few days ago, one of the guys I disciple, a guy named David, him and I have been doing this project together, and, and he's like, man, I want to make a backpack. I'm like, hey, no problem. Let's make a backpack. And so I put him on the, the tanneries website. He orders this sweet bison hide. It's amazing, pebbled grain, maroon or morona or bone marrow color. It's just awesome, you know. And we get all the materials in, and we figure out a design, and then we get down in the leather shop, and we, we start making this backpack. And, and David, he's a better seamstress than I am. I may hire him to run the sewing machine. Anyway, we get down there, and we start creating and working this leather and this is one of my favorite things to do because I get to share in the joy of creating. I get to share in the joy of the work that I enjoy with people that I love and that I'm leading. And this is the picture of God inviting his creatures, inviting his, his people into this endeavor called work, that work is such a huge part of our relationship with God, that, that work, it's a part of paradise. And the reason why I say that is because there's no sin in the world yet. There's no problems, there's no pain, there's no tears in the world at all. We're, we're reading the account of the way the world was meant to work. And the way the world was meant to work was when men and women go to work and they cultivate what God has given them. Jesus, again, he's the image of the invisible God, the son of God. He said this in John 5, 17, my father is at work to this very day. So it's not like God created in these six days and the rest on the seventh, he's like, all right, I'm retiring. No, Jesus said that, that my father's, he, he's at work to this very day. And he says, and I too am working. That in Genesis, we have the inauguration of work and it's exalted and it's divine that God went to work, not because he had to, but because he wanted to. And listen, this is so important because this brings so much meaning to what you and I spent our day doing today. I don't know what you, I don't know if you flipped burgers, if you cut hair, if you created healing at a hospital, if you litigated in a, in a, in a, a, a courtroom. I don't know if you delivered bread. I don't know what you did today. If you took out the trash for somebody, if you learned so that you could be a great nurse or so you could be a great teacher, I don't know what your job was, but here's the point. Because you went to work, you were a representative of the image of God that I think we see work as like this necessary evil, just something to endure, or we look to work to give us something that never was meant to give us, and God is saying that you are my image bearers, and when you go to work, it, it gives you so much more meaning to the job that you're doing, and that when you work in a way that honors God, it glorifies him so much that work is one of the most divine things that you and I can do. Now, there's this danger that, I, that I've definitely fallen into this trap before, and, and the danger is this, is that we'll begin to see work as the reason why we are significant and not the fact that we know God. Like, if, if you're here and you're like on the fast track to success, here, here's a, a caution to you. The caution when you become successful is this, is that you'll look at your success, you'll think that you're significant, and you'll kind of cross your arms, and you'll say, look at all that I've done. And your, your significance or your success will go straight to your head, and you'll be arrogant in some form or fashion. Or if you begin to find your significance in your work, and it doesn't work out for you, and you fail, and you bankrupt, then it'll go straight to your heart 
and you'll think, I'm such a failure. And so there's this tendency to be driven by performance and accomplishment in order to, to satisfy this need of significance deep down inside. And so like, like this is my story. I don't know if y'all grew up in a household like mine that, that it was, um, I'm, I'm the baby of three boys. We were all in high school together. So it was really, really competitive. And, and so like I, I grew up constantly comparing myself to my brothers. And, and they were athletes and they were performers and they were achievers. And so inevitably I'm like, all right, I gotta outperform them. You know, I gotta one up them. And so I grew up unwittingly finding my significance in my ability to accomplish certain things. And so like if it, was, if it was on the field, I wanted to be the best. If it was in the weight room, I wanted to work the hardest. If it was on the marketplace, I wanted to lead the fastest. Whatever it was, I wanted to be the best because deep down inside, I was striving to find significance in my accomplishment. And maybe you've come in here tonight, and I don't know where you're at in the, in the work world or in the marketplace, but maybe you're like, man, I am, I'm hustling, I'm grinding, I'm going, I'm trying to, to, to get my family into a new location, I, I, I'm trying to break the chains of poverty that I grew up in, and all those things are good pursuits, but you've got to be careful because you will unwittingly find your sense of significance based upon your performance and your achievement. And so like, I, I didn't realize how much this was affecting my life. And so when I was a young adult, I started following Jesus. And what I mean by that is, is that I put my faith and trust that what made me significant was not what I could do on a field, was not what I could do in, in the marketplace, but it was wh who I was in Christ and what he had done for me. And so I started saying, okay, I believe in Jesus. I believe he died for my sin, that he rose from the grave, and that's what defines me and makes me significant, nothing that I can do. But then I started having this wrestling and I wasn't managing the tension between my sense of accomplishment, performance, as my sense of self-worth and significance and truly trusting that Christ was the person that had given me significance. And I had to go back again and again to the truth that what Jesus has done for me is sufficient and that's what makes me significant. Uh, that's what makes me significant, not my successes and not my failures. That Jesus, if you don't know much of his story, he lives this perfect life, and then he dies on a cross. And we don't know everything that Jesus said while he was dying on the cross, but we do know a few things. And one of the last things, perhaps the last thing that Jesus said was recorded in John 19.30. And Jesus looks up and he says, tetelestai, which means it is finished. And what Jesus is talking about, the it that he's talking about, is this striving for man to try to do enough, accomplish enough, be enough, so that he can be significant before God and have right standing before God. And Jesus is saying that mankind could never do enough. You couldn't make enough money, you couldn't be righteous enough, you couldn't be awesome enough, you couldn't be the best enough in order to find ultimate significance in your soul. Jesus had to come, and that's why he said on the cross, it is finished. Because there's this undercurrent of work that exists underneath all of our efforts and all of our work. And the undercurrent of work is a striving. It's when you've closed the big deal, but deep down inside you're asking, am I still enough? It's when you've won the game, but deep down inside you're saying, is, is that the greatest thing I could have done? It's the reason why Olympic gold medalists would say that one of the lowest of lows that they experience in their life is when they step off the gold medal platform because they realize I've striven, or if that's a word, I've worked so hard in my life to get to this 
and that's all it was. Is my significance, is it only how fast I run, how good I am at swimming, or is it something more? And that God, he loves you so much that he wouldn't want you to look to work to give you right standing before him because that would never work. And so he sent his son Jesus to live a life we couldn't live. And when I understood this as a young adult, man, it liberated me. And so even tonight, like there's this, people ask me like, hey, are you nervous before you go speak? I'm like, every time. Like my hands are sweating like I'm in a, like I'm in a middle school dance or something right now, you know? Like I am, I am so nervous and, and like I, I get these butterflies and, and, and but here's where I, I keep going back to, it doesn't matter how good or bad I do up here because my significance doesn't come from the delivery of this message. Like I am loved before I ever do anything because of what Christ has done for me and that's so liberating. And so I don't have to be defined by my successes and I don't have to be destroyed by my failures because of who Christ is. And so when we go to work, we go from that place of security. We go as image bearers of God. And if you don't know Christ, once you get to know Christ, you go as an image bearer of God in right relationship with God. And so you can go do the work that he's called you to do. And if you win the day, praise God, you give the glory to him. And if you fail in that day, you're not destroyed and you run to God and you get comfort from him because your significance is not driven by your performance or your accomplishment. God, he went to work. You and I were made in his image. But we also see something interesting in the creation account and it's that God rested. Again, it tells us in Genesis 2 too, it says, on the seventh day, God had finished his work of creation and it says, so he rested from all his work. And it says that and God blessed the seventh day and he declared it holy. Uh, you could circle that phrase, he declared it holy. That's the first time that word's used. He says, because it was the day when he rested from all his work of creation. And then this conclusive phrase, it says, this is the account of the creation of the heavens and the earth. That God, he worked six days and then he rested on the seventh. Point number two, if you're taking notes tonight, you could write this down. Take a break. Take a break. Again, I think we miss some of the simple profoundness of the scriptures because we just kind of skip through them. But God, God rested. Think about that for a second. Like, like was God winded? Was he like, Jesus, Holy Spirit, whoo, I just need, I just need a time out. You know, I just catch a knee. God is, was he tired? God is infinite. He is powerful. He is, he's omni-everything. Why did he rest? He didn't need to rest. Why did he take a break? Maybe God's trying to teach us something about the way he's created things. That rest is not a weakness, but rest is something that is good and life-giving. Like God, he rested because rest is refreshing. That he rested because he was satisfied. God, he, he calls this day holy. Uh, it's interesting that he, that he talks about this day as a holy day compared to the other days that he's talking about this day, there's something distinct about this day. If you don't know what the word holy means, the word holy literally just means set apart. It means that, that it's different. It's of a different kind. Now, what's interesting is that when God, when he un unveils himself to creation and we get the Bible, the main attribute that God chose to emphasize about himself is his holiness. Like God wants you to know, hey, but if you forget anything else about me, remember, I'm holy. I'm set apart. I'm different. 
And so God is saying that the, the Sabbath or, or, or the, the seventh day, the day of rest, if you will, what he's saying is that this day, it reveals my character unlike any other day. That this day, it's, it's really, really important. That rest is one of the greatest reflections of God's character. Now, do you know how to rest? Are you able to unplug I don't think we know how to do this real well. And we're gonna talk about this a little bit more. This is kind of the introduction message to us to several messages in this series. And so we're gonna we're gonna get practical in the weeks ahead, but 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 I, but let me just talk about this. I don't think we know how to rest well. The reason why I say that is because um, what's happening in society, the World Health Organization, probably heard of them, um, they declared burnout as a public health crisis in 2019. We we, we in 2022, we in the pandemic still, right? In 19, they declared burnout as a public health crisis. And listen, you may be effective in these young adult years because you're strong and you've got fervor and energy and excitement and all of this stuff, but you won't be effective long if you don't learn how to rest. Take a break. Take a break. Now, I know what some of y'all are thinking. Oh, praise the Lord. I'm just going home and take a nap tonight. I just need a nap, you know. Like we, when we hear rest, we think sleep. I need to sleep in. Or when we hear rest, we think, you know, I, I, need to, I need to go on a vacation. I need to get a, I need to get a restful hobby. I, I need to have better work-life balance. Listen, rest is so much more than that. It may involve those things, but that's not the purpose of rest. That's why I think we don't need more PTO. I don't think we need more vacations. I don't think that we need more, more days off in our work week as some have suggested, because even if we had more time to ourselves, I don't know that we know how to use that time. I was in a meeting recently, we were talking about organizational leadership, and we were like, maybe we should give people more days off, and I was like, I don't know that that's gonna help, because if they don't know how to use the days off that they have properly in order to rest the way that God tells us to rest, I don't think more of the same is gonna help. That we need to learn how to rest, and to be clear, the purpose of rest is for you to reconnect with your relationship with Christ and for you to find satisfaction in him. Like I think the reason why you maybe feel burnt out in life is really not from a lack of opportunity to rest, but it's a lack of understanding of what rest is. Now some of you don't even take time off. But the reason why you burn out is because you've, been, you've, you've worked doubles for the last 14 days. And you're just like, I got it. You just Red Bull and you just go for it, you know? And the caution when I meet the person that's like, I work harder than anybody else. The, the sun doesn't work as hard as me. Me and the ocean, we're in competition, you know? I just work, you know? I, I, like when I meet that person, I'm like, hey man, cool, way to go. Wow. And what I'm thinking in my mind is you are overestimating your importance right now. Because you think that the world won't spin without your hand. And the world was fine before you got here, and it's going to be fine without you. Take a day off, man. And oftentimes we work because, and we don't, we don't take time to unplug because we overestimate our importance. We're, this is a living conversation in my household right now. Because my, my wife, she's, she's a stay-at-home mom. You talk about a job. She got sick the other day, and I was like, I need you back in the game, girl. I think, no, let's go. Like, this, I can't do this. Kids want all her stuff, and I'm just like, oh, ask your mom. She's sick, you know. Anyway, I, I was a good dad. And so, but here's what I'm trying to say. 
is that it's a living conversation because even in that role, it's like, hey, but how can we help you unplug and get some rest? And the thought is, well, what will happen to the children? I'm like, they're going to be okay. I won't, I won't let them die, but come back soon, you know? <laughs> and we need to figure out how to rest, and then what we do in that time is just as important as the time that we take off. That rest, it's something that we use to reconnect with God and find satisfaction in him. And deep down inside, that's what we're longing for in our soul. We, we want satisfaction. And, and so we run to all of these things to try to find satisfaction. And we think if we could make a lot of money, retire early, and then pursue our pleasures, that's going to bring us happiness and satisfaction. But that's like chasing smoke, y'all. That the only one that will satisfy the depths of your soul is the one that made your soul. That's why when Jesus steps onto the scene, I love Jesus because, like, I just think if I was Jesus, I would have been more crotchety and angry than he was. You know, I'd be like, come on, why can't y'all get your life together, you know? I, I just think if I was Jesus, I would not have as much patience and as, as much, much margin and tolerance. I would be like, I'm Jesus, I'm kind of a big deal. But Jesus, he's not like that. He shows us that God is compassionate, he's patient, and he's long-suffering with us. And that Jesus, he, he invites people. He says, are you sick and tired of being sick and tired of running to all these things to find satisfaction in your soul? And I think humanity's unequivocal answer to that question is yes. And he says, well, come to me. I am God, a very God, and I am the only one that can satisfy the deepest longings of your soul. Jesus is saying, I am the only one that can give your soul rest. He says it like this in Matthew eleven twenty eight. He says, come to me. You, you come to me. This is an open invitation. He doesn't say, go get your act together. He doesn't say, sober up. He doesn't say, change your orientation. He doesn't say, move to a new neighborhood. He says, you come to me the way that you are. Isn't that amazing? That God is not about you going and fixing yourself in order to prepare yourself to come to him. He says, you come to me, warts and all, just the way you are. He says, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens. Note this. He says, and I, I'll give you rest. I love the worship set we were singing earlier, and we were singing a song that God can't fail. It's not in his nature. And so when he promises to do something, he's going to deliver. And he says, you come to me, and I will give you rest. He goes on and says this in verse 29. He says, take my yoke upon you. Yoke is not eggs. It's, it's teaching, all right? It's kind of his way of life, all right? He says, let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart. That's our God. I'm humble and lowly. He says, you will, here's the promise, you will find rest for your soul. Isn't that what we want? And he says, for my yoke or my teaching, it's easy to bear. And the burden that I give you is light. That Jesus came to give our soul R-E-M. Jesus came so that we could have deep soul rest, if you will. Jesus came so that we could have peace even in the midst of difficult days. Like even in the midst of a difficult working season, you can find rest and solace and satisfaction in Christ. Jesus came to give you, to give me satisfaction in the deepest part of our soul. We don't need another nap. We don't need another Netflix binge watch thing, all right? We don't need another hobby. We don't need another experience. We don't need another vacation. We need rest rooted in satisfaction in Christ. 
that a famous philosopher and theologian, he had learned this. After chasing women in inappropriate ways and running from the love of God and the purpose of God in his life, he finally, as a young adult, turned his life to Jesus. And one of the things he said as he reflected upon his life and and as he thought through philosophy and all of the things that he knew, he just said it simply like this. Augustine of Hippo, an African theologian, he said that our souls or our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. That maybe the, the thing that you're looking to rest to give you or the way that you're approaching rest, it's not delivering satisfaction to your soul because your soul is rest less. And we have to manage this tension between work and rest. And we have to have God's perspective on it. Like I think we've all felt that tension, right? Where work's kind of got out of balance and, and where, where rest is not really delivering what we hoped it would. And the reason why we've all felt that tension and we've all felt the sting of that is because in Genesis chapter three, what we see after God ordained all of these things in chapter two is that we see that sin enters the world and it fractures everything. And so work was, was supposed to bring fulfillment and satisfaction. Now it's cursed and we have to sweat and it's, and it's unfruitful at times. That rest was supposed to be refreshing and enjoying, but now we just we struggle even to know what to do when we're resting because there's sin in the world and all that we know is broken. And the Bible would go on to tell us that we were born broken, that we were born spiritually dead. And what we do because of that is we turn to all sorts of things to try to find significance and satisfaction, but they always leave us empty. But the Bible is not about a diagnosis and that's it. The Bible's not a spiritual x-ray saying, hey, you're broken, see ya. The Bible's a book of hope. <laughs> the Bible doesn't say, well, this is how it's supposed to be and y'all messed it up, period, the end. The Bible's a book of love, it's a book of hope, it's a book of rejoicing, why? Because God sent his son Jesus to fix the fracture by giving us new life so that we could follow him rooted in significance and ultimately finding satisfaction in Christ. Now, here's a picture of my leather shop. If you ever come down there, you see this and it's kind of messy and you probably don't know what's going on right there, but, but basically there's a lot of dead hides Right there, it's a lot of dead animals. And uh, you got some cows and bison and pigs. And uh, yeah, yeah that's the, they're the ones that contributed to all of that. It's pretty sad, isn't it? You can take the picture down. We're all getting sad right now. <laughs> and I love doing leather work because here, here's, what, here's what I do. I take dead things and I repurpose them so that they can bring joy to the people that use them. And the reason why I share that with you is because that's what God does. God takes dead hearts. He raises them to life and he gives them new purpose and he, and he, gives, them, he gives them the ability to bring joy to this world. And many of you, you've come in here tonight and if you were being honest at the gut level and at the heart level, you would admit that you are not finding satisfaction in all of the trinkets and the things that you're running to. And if you're being heart if you're being honest in the heart at gut level, you would say that I'm looking to my boyfriend and my girlfriend to give me a sense of significance. I'm looking to my job, my car, my location, this vacation I have coming up to give me a sense of significance. I'm looking to my wall or my post or my TikToks, whatever the thing that you're on trying to project to the world, I'm significant, I'm significant. But deep down inside, you know that all of those things are dead end roads. And the scripture tells us that God sent his son, Jesus, 
not to come to condemn the world and to burn up all of the deadness in the world, but he came to resurrect or to raise the dead things in the world to life. And the way that he did that was he lived a perfect life. He died on a cross. Three days later, he rose from the grave. He appeared to over 500 people for the next 40 days. Then he ascended to the right hand of God the Father. And he reigns as supreme and Lord of all. And he extends the same invitation that he gave in Matthew 11. You come to me. You, you come to me just the way you are. And I'll accept you right where you are, but I love you enough to not leave you the way that you are. That, that you come to me. I'm the divine artist. And you trust your life into my hands. And I'll form and fashion you into something beautiful, useful, that will bring joy to this world. You come to me and I will give you true rest and I'll empower you to find purposeful work. That Jesus came, that ultimately he came so that we would trust in his work so that we could have his rest. And I pray that you would know that truth tonight. I wanna invite you just to bow your head, to close your eyes. I want you to think about your life. Some of you, this is the first time you've been in a setting like this in a long time, and we're glad you're here. You took a risk to be here, and we're so grateful for that. But what is your life? Where do you stand before your maker? The one that knit you together in your mother's womb. And ask yourself, am I looking to my doings my work, my recreation, in order to give me a sense of significance? Or have you found that in Christ? Others of you, you've come in here and frantic would be the best word to describe your life. Man, you're so stressed out. The trauma of all of the stuff that's happened in our society is weighing upon all of us. But then you've got some, some, some of your own things going on. You're in a difficult situation. You're at a crossroads, a standstill. I don't know what it is, but you're frantic. And the thought of having rest in your soul and satisfaction and contentment in Christ, that just seems like a pipe dream. But can I tell you that you could leave lighter in your soul tonight? It's just as simple as you coming to Christ and the way that that looks practically is that you can speak to God right where you are. You don't have to talk to a holy man or woman. Christ is your mediator. He's your listener. And you can just simply confess, Christ, I, I'm exhausted. I have no peace. I'm restless. And he will hear you. And if you're confused about the way God speaks, he speaks clearest through his word. And so when his word says, and when Jesus' words were recorded, he, he, he meant what he said, and that's true for you today. That he wants to give you rest in your soul. And some of you, you need to take him up on that offer tonight. Are you restless? Do you have satisfaction in Christ? And if you don't, tonight would be a great night 
for you to engage in that relationship and allow him to take what is dead in your life and to form it and to fashion it into something that is purposeful and that is useful to bring joy to this world. But you have to allow him to do that. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for tonight. God, I thank you for this opportunity just to get into your word, and I pray that it would penetrate to our hearts. God, I pray that we would begin to have your paradigm for work and for rest. God, I ask that you would help us to be able to tackle our Wednesday tomorrow with a new zeal and a new fervor and a new perspective that the reason why we go to that job, the reason why we work is because we're just extensions of you. We're image bearers of you. And so the work that we do is not just to get us a paycheck. The work that we do is is not a necessary evil. The work that we do has deep meaning, divine direction. So God, I pray that we would see it that way. God, I pray that you would give us the humility to go to work and you would give us the strength to rest. That the thought of taking a day off seems like taking a step back But God, help us to put our life in your hands and trust the way that we were designed. For the person that's here, they're frantic and on the brink of burnout. God, I pray that you would energize them and you would give them vision for rest. And ultimately, God, I pray that if there's somebody here that hasn't found their significance and satisfaction in you and a loving relationship with you, they'd come to you tonight. And they would find a God that that loves them, that is gentle and lowly that would embrace them, that you would wrap your heavenly arms around our soul and that you would give us, you would give us rest. And God, I pray there'd be a sense of levity as a result of that, a sense of direction and, and energy as we trust our life into your hands and that you would bring forgiveness and salvation. We love you. It's in Christ's name I pray, amen.